Colossians chapter 1, part 2, the power of our salvation. And that's what we've been looking at. We started that last week. At salvation, God bestowed four great blessings on us as his children. We looked at two of those last week. We looked at the fact that we've been delivered from the power of darkness and we've been translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. And verse 13, as we mentioned, it marked a transition from Paul praying for them to Paul teaching, to Paul preaching uh, in his epistle. It also marked or represented a transition from that to Paul now focusing on the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see that at the end of verse 13 when he talks about the kingdom of God's dear son. And so as we talked about uh, just grammatically speaking, verse 13, as you see, it ends with a colon which means that what's coming next is you're going to get a deeper emphasis on Christ, God's dear son. And Paul begins to start that here. That's the subject. And so we pick it up in verse 14 today. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, we've been saying all along that words matter and that point really gets amplified when you are studying such a rich book like Colossians, where literally every verse is rich, right? So then the, the emphasis of words just goes next level. But that's also important for us because it's just how it is for us as Americans in that how we overuse words, right? We overuse them to the point where they lose their meaning and emphasis and richness like one of the words i'll tell you is love right we use that word like we throw it around like it's nothing i love the chiefs i love pizza actually no i love my i love the lord i love my wife i love my family i don't love the chiefs i like the chiefs but i don't love them redemption is one of those words redemption and meaning is very deep it's very rich and it's first mentioned in Genesis chapter 48, where Jacob, before his death, is preparing to bless Joseph and his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And after Jacob blessed them, look at verse 16 of Genesis 48. And I know that we've got people online who don't have the notes. I'll give you just a little time to get there, but we do have it on the PowerPoint. It says, the angel, Jacob said, which redeemed me. From all evil, first mention, bless the lads and let my name be named on them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now, Jacob said, the angel which redeemed me from evil. Notice angel, the A is uppercase, it's capitalized. And that's telling you that this is referring to the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. Another reason we know that to be true is because of what we read in Isaiah 43, 14. Because now, just remember, Jacob just referred to this angel as his redeemer. But consider Isaiah 43, 14, which tells us, Thus saith the Lord, your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. 
For your sake I have sent to Babylon, and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans, whose cry is in the ship. So Jacob attributed his redemption from evil to this angel. No created angel could have done that. No created being, no created angel could have redeemed a human being. Only God could do that. Therefore, it had to be Christ. So, in this first mention of redeemed or redemption, we see that Christ is the Redeemer. We see that Christ is mentioned in this first mention because it is He who redeems. Now, what did Jacob mean when he said the angel redeemed him from evil? This is very important. To redeem is to buy back or repurchase. That's what it means when you're talking about redemption. It is to buy back or repurchase, which implies previous ownership. Before Adam and Eve fell, they belonged to the Godhead Trinity. They did. They were in right relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. God said in Genesis 1.26, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So Adam and Eve had a body, a soul, and a spirit. Like God, they were triune, but when they sinned, they lost the image of God, and they lost that relationship with God that they had. And so God had to buy that back somehow. And God shows you how he did that in Genesis chapter 3. And while God is the creator of mankind today, at physical birth, they are not legally his. Because all human beings, as a result of what happened in the Garden of Eden, all human beings are born separated from God. And so God has to buy them back. Well, how does God do that? Well, this is what Paul tells you in verse 14 of Colossians chapter 1. In whom we have redemption through his blood. That's how God did it. Now, adopting a baby, as some have done, uh, particularly if you work through an adoption agency, you understand that that is not an inexpensive process. Far from it. The average adoption through an adoption agency is going to run you somewhere between forty dollars and $45,000. Okay? For most people, that's a lot of cash. Okay? But let me tell you, it costs God significantly more to adopt you. It costs him significantly more to adopt you. Because he bought you back or repurchased you in terms of what was rightly, right, rightfully and legally his. He did it with his own blood. That's what it costs. Consider Acts 20 verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. With his own blood. Obviously, Colossians 1.14 is another emphatic reference to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it would have been important to state that to the church at Colossae because of what they were getting from the Gnostics. Because the Gnostics denied both the humanity and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll see more about that in chapter 2. This is why in verses 13 and verses 14, Paul gives you both. Paul gives you the humanity and the deity of Christ. In verse 13, you see his deity, God's dear son. 
Jesus was the Son of God. And then in verse 14, a reference to his blood. There's his humanity. So Paul is, is, is making it clear that without a doubt, he was both God and man. He was the God-man. He was God with human flesh on. This is also why Paul goes into one of, if not the most, supreme presentations of Christ in all of Scripture in this chapter to emphatically communicate to the church at Colossae who Jesus Christ, listen, not who he was, but who he is. And that's very, very important. And I can, man, I can, I, I can breathe now. I can relax. My wife is here. I was looking around like, where did she go? Like, I, I appreciate that. So, but I wondered, is she okay? Did she get lost? Is, yeah. It's been a crazy morning, guys. But it's all good. We're here, right? We're here. Yeah. But this... This supreme perspective that Paul gives of Christ in Colossians chapter 1 is so supreme that you would have to be a heretic to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. You would have to be. You would have to be. Which brings us to this. The most obvious sign that you're dealing with a cult is the denial of the deity of Christ. It is the most obvious sign that you're dealing with a cult. Is a denial of the deity of Christ. Whether it's Islam, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, Roman Catholicism, sects of Judaism, you find Gnostics. You find Gnostics. These are people who, in their mind, they possess some higher knowledge that just so happens to strip Christ of his deity. He was a prophet, he was a good teacher, he was a good man, he was a this or he was that. He was any and everything except God in human flesh. He's not enough. Now, we have to be very careful here because here's where Calvinists will turn this into, see, God buys back or he repurchases some people. Or he repurchases his people. Now, listen very carefully. There is another word that is very close to this word redemption. It's very, it's very close in association. Consider 1 Timothy, 5, uh, 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The word is ransom. It's very close to redemption. Now, the Gospels tell you that Jesus died for many. And, and again, a Calvinist will hunker down there and see, you see, right there, he, he died for many, not all. Because there is a difference between many and all, but as students of Scripture, we understand that it's, it's context that defines words. And then when you compare Scripture with Scripture, that is how you land doctrinally on any position. Having said that, it is obvious that many in the Gospels had to refer to all for two reasons. At least two reasons. We could give you more, but for time's sake, number one, John 3.16. No doubt about it. <laughs> many had to refer to all and then what you read here in 1 Timothy 2 verse 6 who gave himself a ransom for many no a ransom for all period 
Now, to redeem is to buy back or to repurchase. Ransom is the amount paid to redeem. Ransom is the amount paid to redeem. Jesus paid the full price to redeem all of humanity. Now, not all of humanity will be redeemed by choice of humanity. But he paid the price for all to to be redeemed. Very critical. So, we have been delivered and translated, but our third blessing of salvation, listen, very carefully, we are redeemed. We are redeemed. Notice I did not say we have been redeemed. We are redeemed. Why is that? Because the tense changed from verse 13 to 14. And verse 13, who hath delivered and hath translated. Past tense. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption. You see the difference? The tense changed. This deals with possession because we have been delivered, because we have been translated, we are redeemed. Man, that's awesome. Listen, redemption has associations with slavery. It does. Consider Exodus 20, verse 32. If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. So if an ox trampled a servant or slave, then the price for that to be paid was 30 shekels of silver, and the ox had to be stoned. Okay? So that, that, that ha- there was a cost involved. Consider Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an homer of barley and an half homer of barley. So anybody want to sign up for Hosea's ministry? I, I, I don't. Uh, God, number one, commands this man to marry a whore, which he obeyed and did. And by the way, Hosea, she's going to do to you exactly what the people are doing to me. She's going to be unfaithful to you. And she's going to go back to her, her holler tree. And then now, Hosea, I'm commanding you to go redeem her. You go buy her back. And Hosea did it, because <laughs> he was a man of God. But you see here that she was just worth over the half price of a, of a slave. But she was bought back out of sin. She was redeemed out of sin. What did Jacob say? He said, I was redeemed from evil. Now listen very carefully to Romans 6.18. Being then made free from sin. Ye became the servants of righteousness. Now, if you were made free from sin, 
that can only mean that at one point you were a slave to it. But you were made free. You were redeemed from that. We were slaves to sin, but when God redeemed us, we became servants of righteousness. So here's where Paul is going as it pertains to the redemption that we have. Listen, Paul is calling us to partake of the blessings of our freedom from sin now. Now. That's where he's going with this. He is calling us to partake, to enjoy the blessings of our freedom from sin now. A lawyer will remember this, but the church that we were at on Long Island, there were, we, we had uh, some, some, of the, some football players from one of the local NFL teams that attended the church, uh, quite a few actually, and it was pretty neat to get to know some of those guys. And one of those guys for Christmas one year, he blessed our family with a shopping spree at a sporting apparel store that he had a contract with. So he said, all you got to do, Merry Christmas, love you, appreciate you, that kind of thing. All you got to do is walk in, give them your name, and man, you just, uh, you just bless your family. So sure enough, we walked into this store and gave him my name, and yeah, nice to meet Mr. Morgan, have a great time, and we had a big cart, and I mean, the number that he gave us was very large, we couldn't we, we, we were buying stuff for our friends. I remember Uncle, Uncle Rob to our kids. I got him a nice pair of sneakers, and it, it, was, it, was, it was crazy. And uh, it was obviously a, a, a blessing. We bought clothes for the kids, sneakers, and we were buying stuff years in advance. Well, they'll, they'll grow into this. I mean, they can't, they can't wear it now, but right? Here's where I'm going with this. Consider what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 1, verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Sound familiar? But listen. According to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. God is rich in grace. He's loaded. See, because we've been redeemed, because we are redeemed from sin, you know what God has done? God has given us a shopping spree for righteousness. See, you, you've, you were a slave to sin. You couldn't shop there then. But now that you've been made free from that, because God is rich in grace, God is saying, listen, I'm, I'm giving you a shopping spree. See, because of who I am, because of my name, because of the resources I have, uh, and because of who you are now, because you are redeemed, I, you, can, you can go crazy. You can buy as much holiness as you want. You can buy as much charity as you want. You can buy as much kindness as you want. You can buy as much humility as you want. Oh, goodness. Oh, my good load up. Unity, go to town. Go for it. Sobriety, are you kidding me? 
Man, there is all kinds. <laughs> Load up. Shop until you drop. In God's store of righteousness. Sadly, though, too many who are redeemed are still shopping at Satan's flea market. The deals just seem too good to pass up, man. Impurity is dirt cheap. Division and schism, you buy one, you get one free. And, you, and if you buy those, guess what comes with it at no charge? Hatred. Man, there's a whole section in that store for pride and arrogance, and they have new stuff coming out on that every week. And oh man, there's a there's a five in one package in that in that in Satan's flea market. I mean, you're talking depression, anxiety, addiction, guilt, and shame. Man, it all comes in one package. We have redemption through his blood. We have it. We've been redeemed from sin. We are free from that. God is rich in grace. God has this spiritual store of righteousness where God says, because of who you are in my son, you can walk in anytime and you can buy as much as you want from this store. And as if that wasn't enough, verse 14, even the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> I was cool with just, hey, I'm redeemed, man. How about that? Even, hey, there's more, even. The reason that some of us are still shopping at Satan's flea market is because we have not reconciled that we are forgiven. We are forgiven. Brothers and sisters, we have been delivered from the power of darkness. We've been translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. We have redemption through his blood. And the fourth blessing of our salvation, we are forgiven. We are forgiven. Some... had an abortion many years ago. And Satan reminds you of that every day, doesn't he? Some still carry the guilt of a failed marriage. And Satan pounds you with that every day, doesn't he? Some did something that was so egregious, so dark, so terrible that they're still paralyzed by it. Whatever it was, Satan keeps waving it in your face. And you know what you do? You keep going back to his flea market. Because you have not reconciled. You have forgiveness of sins. You are forgiven, period. 
And if that isn't strong enough, Paul will take an atomic bomb to this in chapter 2. I promise you that. And if you continue to allow Satan to hold you in bondage about the sins of your past, here's what you absolutely must know. God is not in agreement with you. He's not. And can two walk together except they be agreed? The answer is no. Consider this point. When a believer dwells on the sins of their past, they are choosing to remember something that God chooses not to. You think about that. When a believer dwells on the sins of their past, they are choosing to remember something that God chooses not to. So how can you walk with God when you keep dwelling on something he's forgiven you for? It's done. It's over. It's forgiven. And you keep thinking on it. How can you have the mind of Christ if you're thinking like that? God says, the only thing I remember about that is those nails that were being driven through the hands of my son and his feet and the blood that rolled down the cross that paid for that. That's all I remember about it. But man, you keep dwelling on every filthy, dirty detail about it. I remember one time Ken was younger and I can't remember what he did. He had done something and I dealt with it. And, you know, if you're ever compelled to pray for my children, I would just, one of the things I would ask you to pray for is pray that, that they would maintain a soft heart before the Lord. They're very soft hearted toward the Lord. And that just fills us. Praise the Lord. And so Ken had, you know, we, we dealt with it. And uh, he was mourning what he had done. And he came to me, and he, it was a, a day later. He was like, Dad, I'm, I'm really sorry for what I did. And I knew what he was talking about. I said, what, what are you talking about? Well, you know, and I, I, I said, wait, can I? I'm sorry, son. I, I, I'm lost, man. I have no clue what you're talking about. Oh, no, Dad, remember? I, I, uh, actually, I, I I don't. He's kind of looking at me like, come on. Like, <laughs> it sure felt like you remembered yesterday. <laughs> uh, so we this this goes on for minutes. And I finally look at it and say, Ken, son, that's dealt with. Amen. It's over. Yes. I choose not to remember. All I know right now is I'm your father, you're my son, I love you, you're, you love me, and we're right. That's all I know, man. That's it. You know, and, and you know, Mick, I'm thankful, because I'm just like you. I'm flush, and man, if I wanted to, I could sit back, I could have a big-time pity party. Oh, man, I did this, and I did that, and I, and, well, here, here's what I can tell you. Here's what I can tell you about all that. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. 
I can tell you that. I can tell you Hebrews 10, 17. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. It's not that God has amnesia. It's not that God is not omniscient. It's that God chooses not to remember those things. God chooses to only remember that we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we are forgiven. I stand before you as a forgiven man. I am forgiven. And it doesn't matter what I was forgiven for or what you were forgiven for. Man, we love to play that game. Well, it was this. Well, this was, no, we're, I, if you are in Christ, you are forgiven. Period. Period. That is God's truth for you to believe. And when you do, you know what you're going to do? You're going to start shopping like crazy in God's store of righteousness. And man, you're going to load up on sobriety. And you're going to load up on peace and joy. It's all in there, man. I mean, you're going to go to town. All because of who you are. Because of the blessings that came with your salvation. Deliverance. Translated. Redemption. Forgiveness. Listen. Boy, if we can get this. Here's our last point. God has far more grace than we have sin. Do you know that? God has far more grace than we have sin. The moment that you allow Satan to move you from there, you'll be back to shopping in his store. Living far beneath the blessings of who you are and what you have in Christ. So, Man, those are four incredible blessings. I hope you have reckoned them to be so. Father, I want to thank you so much for the simplicity, the power, and the truth of your word. God, would you take what you have given us today from Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, and seal it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.